Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Freeman Means Business Wonder Women in Business podcast. Everyone has a story, and on our podcast, we love to shine a light on the women whose story is moving, meaningful, and compelling. These women work hard to move the needle and fight for equity in the workplace just by being and doing. Today's guest is Dr. Diane Hamilton, CEO of Tenera. Diane, thank you for being here. Oh, well, thank you for inviting me, Susan. I was looking forward to this. Yeah, we've had this scheduled for quite a while. I've been super excited. Um, folks, you know, if you're a regular listener, that I'll create a blog about Dr. Hamilton. Um, I'll call her Diane throughout the show. But let's have you tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I've done a variety of things. That's one of the good things about getting old is all the stuff you've done. <laughs> I have done quite a few things. I've been in sales for many decades before uh, starting my own company. I uh, was a pharmaceutical rep. I sold computers and software and later went into banking and real estate before getting into higher education and uh, media production, all the things I do now with my radio show and my um, you know, uh, my company that I started that is a consulting and uh, training company. Uh, I just uh, have done a variety of things in education. I used to be the MBA program chair at the Forbes School of Business, and I've taught uh, more than a thousand online business courses. So I've done a lot in the field of education. And so uh, all of that, um, and, and it, it kind of just everything kind of uh, snowballed into the next thing. I my work at Forbes School of Business led to me working with a lot of really interesting people for our speakers bureaus, and I had a lot of people like uh, had met through that. I interviewed a, um, uh, really, uh, you know, huge, uh, guy in the business world of, you know, uh, Ken Fisher, who's the billionaire behind Fisher investments yes. as part of my work there. And when I left that job, I, I really liked interviewing and I thought, well, it'd be really fun to have a radio show. So like you, I do it as a part-time kind of thing for fun to help other people and to learn, uh, more, but it led to my interest in studying curiosity because I found so many people on my show were highly curious and some of my students weren't as curious and I wanted to develop that in them. And so when I wrote my book, Cracking the Curiosity Code, I started to look into ways to improve curiosity and was, um, you know, that tied into my research with creating the Curiosity Code Index, which is... Uh, you know, determines the factors that keep people from being curious so they can move forward. So I, I've worked on all these things. They kind of all uh, led up to the next thing. And so now this is, I, I still teach a little bit and I still have the radio show, but I run my company, Tanera. First of all, wow. Okay. <laughs> Let me just say, wow, that's a lot of great stuff. And folks, you'll see in the blog, um, you, you look like you're 30. So you've done a lot in all those very few years. <laughs> So I well, want to oh, say, thank you. thank you for turning off the camera then. <laughs> That's uh, what women it, do, don't we? But you look fantastic. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to say something about the curiosity code. So when I teach, when I do what I do for a living, uh, one of the biggest tools that I speak about is the power of curiosity and how it combats bias. Um, I may want to incorporate your book into my sessions and classes and workshops now. So that sounds really fascinating. And I think curiosity is a thing that we're all too afraid to embrace and to take seriously. And that is what will combat, um, you know, um, the fear of, of, of connecting with people who are different or 
learning more about the other, whatever the other might be, if it's someone from a different country or a different age, or, you know, it really, curiosity does help us to combat bias. So I can't wait to get a few copies of your book and give it a try and pass it out and share it with my uh, clients and such. Um, oh, I really appreciate that because I think that what we're trying to do is uh, help people. You mentioned combating bias, which is a lot of what my next book and my research was about in, in, in perception. But in, the, in terms of curiosity to develop these relationships, you really have to ask questions to get that empathy. Uh, I wrote my doctoral dissertation on emotional intelligence and its impact on performance. And so doing some new research with major pharmaceutical company right now to look at the development of curiosity and how it's going to help the organization. So just so much great content out there that we're developing and it's really exciting. Oh, I hope you keep me posted. I'm certainly going to bug you every now and then and say, what's new? Good. What are you doing now? <laughs> I'd love to learn more. Um, you are a fantastic resource for me and others who do same or similar things that I do. And um, I have a, a huge universe of contacts and a network of professionals who love, you know, this kind of work and are always seeking great content and new ways of doing things especially now, I'm not sure how long this, um, folks, Diane and I are both shelter in place people, um, but I'm not sure how long this will last, but I do believe that this alone has uh, created a paradigm shift. Like the way we do business is going to change for good, uh, even when we go back to whatever normal might be. I think that this has, um, opened people's eyes to virtual workforces and, and that sort of thing. Uh, so I'm going to have to look to people like you, Diane, uh, for content that I can share virtually, because as it stands, the way that I do my work, um, I have to be there face to face. And I don't think that's going to uh, fly so much anymore. Um, so I'm looking forward to your new content. I'm looking forward to further studying, studying your uh, old content and uh, using it in the work that I do. Uh, you've described all that you've done in, in brief. Uh, I'd love to dig more deeply into all that you've done and maybe tell me a little bit about your proudest professional accomplishment because you've had quite a few. Well, you know, I, I mean, getting a PhD was really uh, made me very proud. I have to admit that was right up there. Uh, recently, this last year, I was nominated to Thinkers 50 Radar as one of the minds to watch in 2020. And that's a huge accomplishment for me for my work with Curiosity. So that was awesome. Uh, I mean, just in general, anything that I've done education-wise always is a proud moment, but nothing compares to, of course, being a parent and all of that. So it's really hard to, um, to put it into one thing, but I just think continuing education should be everybody's proud moment. I agree, and kudos to you for that. I'll tell you, uh, folks who are fearful of AI don't understand that it's just a shift. It's just a change. You're going to have to engage in universal learning. So I don't think, you know, stay in school, kids uh, and grownups alike. I don't think that, um, you know, I think we just have to change our minds first about what our paths look like or will resemble. Um, AI is going to take those positions that are dirty, dull, and dangerous, but they'll create, it'll create more positions uh, that use the other side of the brain. So I think we're tapping into our uh, creativity and our innovative uh, side of our brain. And I think that universal learning and continuing education 
uh, is something we should all strive for. So what a great example you are. And if I were you, yes, I love being a mother and I have a pretty awesome husband as well. We're partners in every way. But um, I would, if I were you, say my PhD <laughs> was my greatest accomplishment. That was, pretty, that was pretty amazing. You know, but you know what? It was really pretty amazing to me to create an assessment that had never been created too, you know, and it was all, that was as hard in some ways as getting a PhD because nobody had done anything like this kind of research. When I started researching for my book, I thought, well, I'll just include what they found about what stops curiosity and how to improve it. But there wasn't anything out there. All the assessments just told you if you're high or low levels of curiosity. And, and so if you're low, then what? And so yeah. that was very, you know, frustrating to me because you mentioned, you know, AI taking these positions, they're, they're struggling with engagement, they're struggling with creativity, with innovation, everything that, that you're talking about all ties back to curiosity. And if we're just measuring it, that's not enough. We need to figure out what stops it so that we can get people a little bit, um, you know, to, to improve. And if you look at curiosity, it's okay. I tell people this because I think it's a really good way to, to envision it. Say, say you're um, in a real world situation outside of business. You wanted to bake a cake. So your end product is this cake and you've got all these ingredients that you have that you might have eggs and flour and, and oil or whatever it is you're mixing together, all these ingredients and you put it in the pan and you put it in the oven and you're, you're hopeful that you're going to get this cake. But if you don't turn on the oven, you get goo, you get nothing. And so it, it, it's the same kind of thing in the business world. The, the, instead of a cake, we're looking for productivity, money, that type of thing. You know, we want to financial rewards and gains and all that. But that's, if that's your cake, the, the ingredients people are mixing together and creativity, innovation, engagement, things that they know are important, and, but nobody's turning on the oven. And the oven is curiosity. I love it. I love it. You need to teach us how to turn on the oven. Um, right. Yeah. I think, so it's partly you don't know what you don't know. You know, you think you have everything right. you need to bake the cake, but you're missing the key element and just don't know you're missing it. So I love that. Um, I can't wait to learn more. So I, I purposely try not to learn a lot about my guests before they're on the show. That way it makes for a much more uh, revealing and authentic conversation um, when you tell your right. story. So, but now I'm so curious about your, your work and I can't wait to buy your book. And folks, look, everybody I interview has a book. <laughs> I can't buy everybody's book, but this is a book I'm actually going to buy. I have bought maybe, I don't know, 40 or 50 guests books. Um, but I, I, I literally can't buy everybody's book, but I'm definitely going to buy a couple of copies of this book. This plays right into the work that I do. And I think that you'll help me personally uh, in my work, uh, not just, you know, to support you by buying your book. This is to support me in what I do. So I'm excited. Well, let me ask. Well, I, I really appreciate that. I, I, you know, people who are thinking about all this, um, it, it, the, the assessment is pretty inexpensive as well. And it's on my curiositycode.com site if anybody's interested in taking the assessment. If you're interested in finding out these things that hold people back, uh, what's holding you back, I, I, there's really four factors. And in the book covers it a little bit, but in real detail, it's in the assessment. So if that's your main focus, you might want to go to the assessment. You know, the, in the training program, it, we ha hope everybody reads the book, takes the assessment, and so on. But it, it's, they're both there, and, and they're both available on the site. 
Well, I'll put all that in the blog. In fact, I'll put a link to the assessment and my followers will take the assessment. Um, tell me a little more about the assessment. What does it do and what is the end? Like you're learning, like you said, the qualitative more than just high or low. You're learning, you know, what to do with this. You want to tell us a little more about the assessment? Well, I would love to. Uh <laughs> We, it's, it's very quantitative actually, because we've, we've got it down to four factors. I did a lot of factor analysis. I've published this research in a peer reviewed journal and it's, it's something that I'm really proud of because we've determined these four things that hold people back. And basically what keeps you from being curious are fear, assumptions, which is really that voice in your head, what you tell yourself, technology and environment. So the acronym of FATE, F-A-T-E. And as I researched this, I spent years getting just the right questions. Uh, you know, it, it's a very similar assessment to something like a, a DISC or a Myers-Briggs or a, a yeah. emotional intelligence, where you take it online, you get a 26-page PDF kind of thing, instant results to give you, you know, not only your results, but tips of how to move forward and how to create action plans to, to overcome these factors. Because within each of those areas, there's it's 36 questions. So you, you've got, you know, nine uh, questions under each of those four areas uh, that could be problematic for you. So it really spells out, you know, with fear, for example, a lot of people, no one wants to look dumb, right? Nobody wants to look unprepared. You don't, you don't want to, you're in a meeting, you got that great question. You're not going to ask it because you're going to look like the person yeah. who's not, you know, up on things. So you get the guy next to you, hey, Bob, why don't you ask, you know, you know it's better for Bob. <laughs> right so you you have this like this of course this based on past experiences or whatever that you think what will happen and some of that ties into the assumptions we make assumptions that voice in our head saying it's going to be too hard I, i'm not interested i didn't i took it before i didn't like it whatever it is you tell yourself um i i liken it to uh, you know when i'm in a um you know, giving a talk or in a meeting or whatever, I'll, I'll hold up a glass of water and I'll say, you know, how, how heavy is this water? And some people will yell out maybe eight ounces, six ounces, whatever they think. But my answer is it, it doesn't matter. What matters is how long I hold it. And if I hold it for a, a minute, no big deal. If I hold it for an hour, my arm starts to get tired. If I hold on to it all day, my arm becomes paralyzed. And that's kind of how we are with our assumptions. If, you know, fleeting thought, no big deal. You hang on to it for a while, it starts to limit you, and then you hold on it for a long time, it paralyzes you. What so our voices analogy. Yeah, so what we tell ourselves is huge. And then technology, we can either over or underutilize technology. Uh, sometimes we would have been the greatest mathematician in the world, but we won't know it if we've only been told how to use a calculator. So you have to know the basics behind things sometimes. Yeah. And, but sometimes, you know, we, we don't use it enough. We're afraid of it. It's intimidating. What, you know, we just learned it. Now we learn it again. You know, there's a lot of things to go with technology and then environments, really everybody in your, you've ever met. I mean, your parents, your teachers who had to teach to the test, maybe they couldn't answer why, why, why. Uh, there's your boss. I mean, I had a boss, I asked him a question, you know, he asked me to do something and I said, uh, well, I'd be happy to do that, but I've never done it before. How do I do that? And he looked at me and he said, well, I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that. Okay. So what does that make me do the next time I want to ask a question? I'm not going to ask it. I'm going to lie and right. pretend I know what I'm doing. Right. <laughs> so right. we have all these environmental things that can hold us back. And it may be that your last boss and not even your current boss and your current boss can't figure out why you're not exploring more. And that leads to status quo thinking. 
And status quo thinking is going to be the downfall of a lot of organizations. And we really need status quo to, to go away right now at a time when we're really looking for answers. And if you think about it, there's this thought experiment uh, that was, you might have seen from National Geographic, where a woman went into uh, an eye doctor's appointment thinking she's getting her eyes examined, but it was really a thought experiment to see how people go along with status quo thinking. Mm. And what they did was they surrounded her with actors who were all in on this experiment. And every few minutes they would ring a bell and everybody would stand up and sit down with no explanation around her. And after only three times of them doing it, she got up and sat down with them because she, no one wants to be oh. the one that's not doing it, right? She has yeah. no idea why she's doing it, but she does it. And so they thought, well, let's take everybody out of the room, you know, call them back like they're getting their eyes examined and leave her alone and see what happens. And they rang the bell and she stood up and sat down. Yeah. And so, well, this is really interesting. Let's, let's add some people who are real patients and see what happens. And she, you know, it's the first gentleman sitting next to her, the bell goes off, she stands up and sits down and he, and he looks at her, he said, why do you, why'd you do that? And she said, well, everybody else was doing it. I thought I was supposed to. So, you know, the next time the bell rings, what do you think he does? He gets up and he sits down. And then everybody else does the same thing as they add more and more people because they're all conforming to this new social norm. And that's what we're doing in the working world or in our lives in general. We're just following these rules. We're standing up and sitting down for a bell that's ringing and we don't even know why. So, Diane, I studied groupthink for years. Uh, <laughs> well, you know exactly what I mean. I do. I do. I had a two and a half year project on that uh, and propaganda and how people don't even critically think anymore. This plays right into that. Uh, what I wanted to say is you are, uh, so I come from the world of financial services and then law firms, then legal after that. So um, in legal, you are describing exactly how the operating system uh, is, where it's the status quo, because they don't, um, they're not curious about the unknown. They rely on the known. They are only comfortable with that which they can see before them, finding fault, um, which holds them back in the business sense. Um, they're right. very primitive. So they're not aligned at all with their client's way of operating. Uh, the clients that hire lawyers don't operate. I mean, the, the business doesn't operate like law firms uh, operate. So I think your work would be... Um, I'm not sure how excited they would be to have it, but I know they need it. <laughs> they definitely well, you know, it's so funny. When I was studying emotional intelligence, I was wondering, you know, people who really need it, will they read about it? Will they learn it? And, and when, it, when it's a matter of their company's success, they eventually realize that, you know, they don't want to be blockbuster. They don't want to be Kodak. They, they, they have to, to do the things that maybe are a little uncomfortable. I'm working with a lot of top organizations who really see this. They've put CEOs and CMOs in place, uh, Verizon, uh, Novartis, I mean, you name it, the companies yeah. I work with, they, they, they value this level of uh, development of curiosity. And that is something that lawyers who want to compete as the, every industry is going to be reinvented and who yeah. knows what's going to occur because of this, you know, uh, current crisis that we're in with the coronavirus. You, everybody's looking at things in a unique way and, and we're going to have to get out of status quo. Well, I have a little tip for you then. You take those large corporate clients that you currently work with, you meet with their general counsel in that department and you have them encourage their outside counsel to hire you to do this training because uh, defense firms need it. I mean, they are definitely 
primitive in their operations, not all of them. Some have transitioned to beautifully to business of law, but the majority of them are still practices of law that don't appreciate the unknown and appreciate the um, turning on the oven to bake the cake, the curiosity factor. Uh, so I think there's a lot of opportunity for you um, to work with those that might, if you see a firm that has a COO, you know that they are in, the, in that position now where they're starting to think like a business. Most right. firms don't have that position yet. Most firms don't have business executives, but um, there are those out there who are, you know, outliers who are leading the way and uh, would welcome the work that you do. And as uncomfortable as the lawyers would be in doing it, I think they would come out better for it. And this could be a really great opportunity for them to use the tools that you teach uh, for business development as well as um, just, you know, understanding business and how to operate like a business. Well, and, and because there's so many companies that really could use this, that's why I created a certification training program for people who are uh, either um, consultants or, uh, you know, they're, they're in HR and, and they want to train the whole organization. I can, they get five hours of Shermery certification credit for going through the half-day online training program. A lot of people have time on their hands right now, so I have a lot of people who are interested in that right now, and that's also on the same site. Um, it's really nice because uh, we teach people how to give the seminar and get people through uh, not only t understanding their results, but creating action plans that are measurable uh, for going through kind of a personal SWOT of what, what they need to do, of what their strengths and weaknesses and opportunities and threats are, and then developing this really measurable type of goal plan to increase their, their level of curiosity for any of the areas in which they scored low. But the, in addition to that, we have them create an overall action plan that they can give for um, leaders to have. Because um, I, the reason I, I'm, I think it's really important for the employees to help leaders create an overall action plan to develop curiosity is if you look at what Disney did, Disney, you think of Disney as this really, uh, you know, all fun, wonderful kind of company to work for. But there are people who work in the long there and as glamorous as that sounds it's not great right so they were having a huge turnover and they thought well what can we do they and they went to their employees and they said well what can we do to make your job better and they truly you know didn't expect to get um, you know things that they could fix but they thought well, let's just give it a shot and what they got back were really reasonable suggestions like put an air vent over my uh, workstation and have my desk where I fold things go up and down so my back doesn't hurt and things like that that they go well yeah we could fix that and so they're they dramatically improve turnover and so when you go to the employees and you get their feedback you get insight in a way that you hadn't considered because you like you said you don't know what you don't know right and so we train people to not only to help individuals within the organization to improve their own curiosity, but we get these individuals now that they know about this importance of curiosity and, and how to improve it, they create, they give all these suggestions for this is how the company could help me to be more curious by improving this uh, for critical thinking or for leadership or teamwork or whatever their issues are, engagement and innovation. And then the trainer, whether it's the HR person or it's me or uh, anybody else consultant who's gone through this program, can go back to leadership with this overall plan and say, look, this is what your employees think will help them. And leaders then have a great uh, wealth of knowledge from which to base their decisions.
Yes, and, and that's the same kind of training I've done for years with lawyers in assessing client needs. Why right. do they not ask? Why do <laughs> I just, you know, it's what you said earlier, you know, uh, they're afraid to uh -huh. look stupid or, I mean, in my, I wrote a thesis, a master's thesis on transitioning from a practice of law to a business of law. And fear was the number one factor that I found is why lawyers don't uh, expand on existing client relationships because they're afraid to ask the right questions and they're afraid mm -hmm. to be seen as unknowing or when really, you know, clients and others, they feel respected when you ask what's most important to you or what are you trying to achieve? And then you're able to speak their language and help them do that. So I personally, after this show is over, am going to um, go to your website and check it out. I, as a consultant, would benefit greatly from your program. It's very, it sounds very, now folks, I don't usually do this. We don't sell anything on this show, but I am so personally intrigued and this fits right into what I do for a living. Um, I am going to go to Diane's website and check out this program. And yes, I do have time on my hands now that I'm working from home. I would yeah. love to fill it with, um, you know, learning. I love to learn. So I hope, you know, anybody listening who wants to be an affiliate too, if you, you don't want to become certified, you just want to, you know, share the links with people you think that would help them and you wouldn't mind making a little money. You could also uh, sign up to be an affiliate. If you go to my main website at drdianehamilton.com and you scroll down to the bottom of the page to the affiliate link, it'll, it'll let you fill in your information and uh, you can share that any way you want on your website through email, whatever. And I have a lot of people who do that because they think there's so many people who can benefit from developing their curiosity. So anytime anybody takes this curiosity code index, uh, you know, it's nice to make a little money. I am. Uh, I, w I wasn't going to do that for the money, but that would be a nice added bonus. Um, I'm happy to do that. I am happy to do that. It plays right into the work that I do. Um, my network is huge and they would benefit greatly from what you do. So I'm happy to incorporate you. your work even on my website. So let's move on and learn more about you because you're so fascinating. I mean, I, <laughs> I swear we speak the same language. I can talk to you all day long. Um, who inspired you? Who has fired me? No, who inspired you? Oh, who inspired me? I was going to say, <laughs> I'm inspired. Uh, a lot of people have inspired me. Um, you know, I wrote in my um, book, I dedicated my uh, book to a, a teacher I had when I was young. Um, I, I think he was really an influential person in, in my life because he he just, he was an algebra teacher for one thing. And I got really great at algebra when I had him because he just made me just question everything. And Very I think, nice. you know, I think that's what, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, he, I think he developed, but you know, my father also has a very big uh, influence on my curiosity because everything was a game when we were young. Uh, even at the dinner table, we had to play school at night and uh, they would ask questions age appropriate to, you know, we were all different ages. My sister was nine, uh, I'm five years older, my brother almost nine years older. So every one of us got our own unique question tailored to our levels. And if you missed it, you know, the question, you'd be a third of a hippopotamus or some silly thing. And then you became a whole hippopotamus. I love it. You had to go through the tickle machine or I don't know, you know, there's some kind of punishment. So it, everything was a, a game and a challenge. And I think that that made me very curious. Uh, it's just, I think a lot of people don't have that, you know, in their homes. And so I think that was really fun. 
that is so amazing. So I, I host this Facebook private group uh, supporting highly sensitive people, which I am. I'm very empathic. Highly sensitive mm -hmm. people during the COVID-19 crisis. And I mm -hmm. think that that is a, a tool that some of the people in that group, they're mostly business professionals who are now trying to adapt and adjust to working from home with their kids. Mm -hmm. um, they don't know how to do it. They're like, you know, these are doctors and lawyers and, and, and people who are, you know, gone all day and their, their world is, is, um, binary, you know, nine to five and then five till right. I wake up. And so they're trying to adapt and adjust and don't know what to do with the kids and how to keep them, you know, learning and remain sane at the same time. That's a great little idea. That's just so wonderful. Um, I'm yeah. actually going to share that in that group. So um, I'll share this whole podcast. Everybody who joins any group that I um, create uh, knows that I'm going to share my blogs and podcasts of these other wonderful women in the world who are doing great things such as yourself. Well, so I, I really want to add to that because uh, today I posted something on LinkedIn that you might find helpful for people who aren't used to working virtually. I mean, I've worked virtually for more than 30 years and uh, I am happy to answer questions and I, I gave some insights as to, you know, some software that might help like Zoom like we're on right now. Uh, and different things on a LinkedIn post. And if anybody was listening and they want to join on LinkedIn or read my blog or, you know, find out more, I'm happy to answer questions as well. And I'll put your LinkedIn um, profile as well as that post into the blog that I share as well. We'll, we'll, all the different paths, you know, there are many paths to the mountaintop. We'll make sure that people <laughs> take <laughs> lots of different routes to get to Dr. Diane. So we'll make sure that happens. Um, you're quite resourceful. It's just really amazing how multifaceted uh, you are. So you know that the reason I do this for giving is that I believe that women should support other women and lift as we rise. How do you recommend, even if it's something simple day to day, how do you recommend women can support other women in business? Well, I, I think we have to be less critical of one another. I, I think it's really hard. I've had so many speakers on my show that after the show, I'll talk to them and they're all Hall of Fame speakers and they're like all men. You know, you get a few women, yeah. but they're almost all men. And I'll say, well, why do you think that is that we're not getting more women? I said, do we take ourselves too seriously? Do you know, what is it? And he, they'll say, you know, you guys are just so hard on each other that if a woman's on stage, they're considering whether she, her shoes are perfect or her hair's too big or her makeup's too much or, you know, and they don't do that to men. Right. And, and it's not so much the men doing it, but the women doing it. And women yeah. are worried about other women doing it. And I, know, I think there's a lot of women who are super supportive. Don't get me wrong. But I think that we could all be better. And I, I think that there's a, it, men have it a lot easier, you know, when we have to do these video teleconferences, it takes them one second to get ready and here <laughs> yeah. we, you know, we lose an hour of our day, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, they have yeah. no concept. <laughs> I was laughing the other day about Zoom has this, um, I don't know what they call it, but they'll put makeup on you. Like, oh, the, like Snapchat. That's what I've been working for. Forever. <laughs> I'm like, can you guys just make Snapchat my face so I never have to get ready again? And I'm happy with that. <laughs> That's so funny. So you just, again, hit the nail on the head and tapped into something I teach. Um, I talk about uh, muted group theory, how 
white males created the operating systems within which we all operate, regardless of industry. I mean, if you look historically, it's all been uh, white males. So women and other minorities struggle to navigate within that system. So I'm trying to change the system, not women. You know, I'm not trying to. Right, right now, we claw each other's eyes out to get the one or two spots at the top that they, um, you know, check off the box and say, oh, we have to have a woman in that position. So right. um, I'm saying let's change the operating system and not, you know, keep, you know, hurting each other. Uh, so, yeah, you tapped right into that. I even talk about um, the dress code and the marking and the labeling that if my husband wore the same suit to work every day of the week, no one would ever notice. But if I wore the same suit, I would totally be, you know, right. <laughs> you know, are you okay? Did you spend the night right. here? <laughs> you know, uh -huh. people would take a sniff and say, did she shower? You know, so yeah, right. totally. I'm All they have to do is their tie and their whole outfit's different. See, exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. We get marked for the, you know, the length of our skirt and the height of our heels. So like you said, big hair. Yeah. I, I tell a story about how I um, used to have back in the eighties, you know, even Oprah had big hair and, and, Everybody loved Oprah, but the people where I worked were very conservative in financial services in Boston, and they pulled huh. me aside and told me to lose the big hair. And I'm from the South. I was like, "What's big hair?" You know. <laughs> <laughs> I love big hair. I, you know, I, I think, you know, you got to be what you are. And I think that people are getting a little better about everything than than they were. But I think there's still a lot of uh, room for improvement. Well, that's and, your curiosity work helping. Right. You, well, it, it, that ties into my work with perception and bias and some of the stuff in the um, book that I have coming out next year or at the end of this year. I'm not sure yet when it's going to be released, but I created another assessment to, to determine the factors, you know, that impact perception because it's, it's kind of a combination of IQ, EQ, for emotional intelligence quotient, um, a CQ for curiosity quotient, and, and uh, also a CQ for cultural quotient. And if you kind of combine all those things together, we're able to, to learn more about each other. And I think a big piece of that is the EQ part, especially empathy, by yeah. asking people, uh, you know, trying to see things from somebody else's vantage point and their perspective is huge. And you're able to empathize with them much more. And even if you don't necessarily agree, you understand that everybody's uh, got, you know, their, their point has value and is, even if it differs from our own. So yeah. I don't think I've ever had a guest whose work has struck such a personal chord as yours as with <laughs> me. Oh, that's great. I, I love that we have so much in common. I think that, you know, what we're trying to do is, is uh, open people's eyes to some of these things that maybe we just had, you know, like you just don't think about that are just so uh, important to everyday uh, your growth. And if you know that we're losing $500 billion a year due to lack of engagement alone, according to Gallup, right? Yeah. That alone is because so many people are probably misaligned, doing jobs they don't really love, they're not passionate about. And if AI is gonna take over a lot of those jobs, wouldn't it be great to ask people questions, let them explore, right. let them ask questions, and you realign them with something they really are passionate about, look what happens with that engagement. Well, I think great corporate leadership is open to that. Um, I think that so many more companies don't even think to uh, consider that which you just said uh, which is why you need to get out there and get you know get even busier and create an army of yous um, <laughs> sign me up sign me up so 
Let me ask you, I know it hasn't always been easy. You make it look easy. And it sounds like you came from a very supportive family, um, very successful parents, and and they uh, knew how to, um, you know, raise children who were curious and to to create excitement around the unknown and not fear. Uh, Let me ask you, though, however, I'm sure it's not always been a bed of roses. What maybe was a challenge or a setback that you overcame and how? Well, it's interesting that you said I came from successful parents because neither of my parents worked. Um, and my dad was actually born legally blind and my mom was a housewife. So they both were home and neither one ever worked. So I had really nobody to emulate, which was interesting, but I had no one to really help me either. So it kind of forced me. My challenge was if I wanted to figure out something, I had to figure it out on my own because they didn't really know how to do it. And because uh, they weren't doing it. And I, I think it was interesting, though, when I got older, I, I learned that my dad's family, uh, I knew they had owned like the Hamilton Shoe Company in St. Louis, and they were business people. But I, I didn't realize they also owned arenas and different things that they had all these other businesses that they had done, but mostly that my grandmother had a uh, um, a business machines company her family had and I'm just always been obsessed with like typewriters and things you know and I'm thinking <laughs> I don't know how much epigenetics has anything to do with it <laughs> but when you're like my age and then you find out that you know that they actually own the things that you've always been obsessed with it's just kind of funny you know so uh, I think my challenge was really uh, not having somebody to go to having to rely on myself and uh, some people that works out well for them. Elon Musk, which I would hardly compare myself to, but Elon Musk's family told him he'd never do anything and he had to get away from him. It was actually a detriment. But you know, Steve Wozniak's family, his dad showed him every little thing of why these things worked, why you needed electricity for this gadget and how, what it did. You know, So you could come from either kind of family. And a lot of it, anybody who's had more than one kid knows that you know, you're born with a certain amount of who you are right off the bat. And I think that I've always been a very curious person. The difference is, if you looked at my research with curiosity, uh, kids peak around age five on their curiosity. And then everybody tanks after that for the rest of your life, it just goes down. (laughs) And uh, and we know that, as I said, fate, fear, assumptions, technology, and environment are the reasons that it goes down. And if we know that, we can come back up. And that's what I'm really hoping to help. It's interesting to me that, um, so I saw success in your parents in how they um, encouraged curiosity and encouraged learning um, versus, you know, my father was a very, he was a multimillionaire. He discovered the cause of Bell's palsy and how to cure it. He was a pathologist. He'd written many books, very, very, um, you know, successful in that regard, but I didn't see him like he was a really great parent, but not in the way that your parents were. He was very much uh, taught, taught me through treating me like an adult. He never, ever treated me like a child. I never had that. um, I was not daddy's girl, contrary to what many people think (laughs) when you come from a family of money, Um, but Uh he was the first generation of money. And, um, he did a lot of good with it, but he was not, um, you know, he did not come to my level and play games or you know, he, he, he would say, come on, honey, we have an autopsy. Let's go. You know, he, 
<laughs> I know, right? He yes. was a corner. He would, I'd say, dad, who's in the jar? You know, it's really an odd, <laughs> odd childhood. But talk about curiosity in a, a unique way. Um, he treated me like an adult all of my life, which there are good and bad things about that. Uh, but that is why I think I saw your parents as successful as they were able to um, incorporate curiosity and right. learn and education uh, even after school hours and, you know, at home. So that's pretty awesome. Well, you it's funny that probably... you have your father, I'm sorry, your father um, being what he was, you know, my cousin was D. Uh, D. Ralph Millard, who was known as one of the most famous plastic surgeons yeah. of the millennium. And he wrote all the books that my husband, who's a plastic surgeon, had to read to become a plastic surgeon on how to fix cleft palates. I love and that. So it's funny, uh, the backgrounds of, you know, who, I think there's some genetics involved. You, you just, you know, but I, I think that in some ways I can relate to your um, being treated like an adult. We were really yeah. kind of left on our own devices as an adult almost. And I, I was very old at a young age. I could tell that. I sense that um, just from our conversations um, and the fact that you're the, the youngest of three yet still seem like an old soul. You know, you're very, um, yeah, I love that. That's great. Well, tell uh -huh. me, you've told me a million things that are surprising already. Um, I think the fact that you're married to a man who studied under someone, I mean, we definitely, not that I've, look, I'm, I am all for plastic surgery. If that's what makes you happy, go and do. I would like more of it, frankly. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, for those women out there who who judge other women who do that, hush up, stop it. Um, <laughs> well, he does a lot of reconstruction. He's one of the few people who who does uh, when people had mouth and throat cancer, he would rebuild their faces. And I wow. remember being at the gym one time and hearing one of his patients on the radio say that you know she always thought of plastic surgeons as Barbie doll makers and. And she was so happy that he was able to make it so she didn't choke to death from cancer and yeah. built her face, you know. So there, there's good things. And my uncle did amazing things, went to uh, third world countries with kids that had syphilis and rebuilt their faces after they had cleft palates and stuff. So there's there's yeah. two sides to, to all, all occupations. Sure. And we have to be, you know, again, curious about what they do in mm -hmm. real life and not just look at, you know, reality TV and think that's it because that's right. the farthest thing from reality. <laughs> there's a, a group out here in Sunnyvale, California called, I, I want to say Resurgence or Resurge or re they travel to underdeveloped nations and their surgeons do uh, that kind of work. I know your husband knows them and probably. Might. Well, you know, he did go to Mexico to do it. He might've gone with them. My daughter lives yeah. in Sunnyvale. I have my, my oldest daughter lives there. Oh, nice. <laughs> very nice. Very beautiful. Yes. Um, I would love to be um, in Sunnyvale. <laughs> I hear planes fly over my house uh, regularly because I'm about five minutes from SFO. So um, ah. Luckily, well, I guess the planes are grounded now. It's kind of been quiet lately. So imagine. Yeah, it's let me ask really you this. Crazy. We are going to put all of your contact information, your LinkedIn profile, links to your website and your work and to the survey um, or the, the test, the assessment in the blog. But for those who are just listeners who don't go to read the blog, how can people reach you? Uh, you know, it's my name everywhere, really. It's drdianehamilton.com is the website. It'll get you to the curiosity stuff as well if you don't remember curiositycode.com. But you can reach me at 
at Dr. Diane Hamilton everywhere. And that's just D-R-D-I-A-N-E-H-A-M-I-L-T-O-N on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, you name it, uh, you know, Twitter, Instagram, I'm out there. I like uh, LinkedIn the best, but uh, I'm on all of them. That's awesome. 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 Great, great branding as well. Um, you personify your brand and everything about curiosity. You live it, you look it, you talk about it. You, you know, it's amazing. Um, I can't wait to go to your website when we hang up from this podcast. And I thank you. Thank you. Thank you for spending time with us today. Oh, Susan, this was so much fun. I really enjoyed your show. I, I loved your questions. I always have fun being on other people's shows because I do so many of my own. I always get a kick out of seeing how everybody does it, but you really do an excellent job. And I loved all the questions. This was so much fun. Well, thanks for being here. I know you're a busy woman and I can't wait to make you busier. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye.